Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a fan of Star Trek, then you already know about the Inglorious Trexperts. But maybe you don't know about the 430 movie, where at least two of us are on it. And we also have Ashley Miller and Steve Melching. And we talk about movies, movies that you'll probably like if you watch them. So give it a chance. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital, wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And today, we're here to talk to a man, maybe not a household name, but has done more to preserve the legacy of Star Trek than virtually anyone I know. And we're thrilled to have him. We've been trying to get him on the show for a while. He's done some amazing things. Before I tell you who that man is, I want to introduce Ashley Miller. Who has done absolutely nothing. To Not preserve the legacy of Star Trek, <laughs> I'm going to appear on this podcast. So, Ashley, welcome back. It's always good to ha- have you here. Ashley, of course, is a writer of such movies as Thor and X-Men First Class. He's been a writer-producer on shows like Fringe and Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. There you go. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Jessica Van Puttermaker, a love story. Um, so, no, he didn't work on that. He's writing it, though. I am. So uh, She anyway. hooks up with Meredith Burgess. <laughs> welcome back. Thank now, who's this... Person I speak of, this man who's done so much to preserve the legacy of this man of mystery. (laughs) Yes, that man is Roger Lay Jr. Roger not only um, did all the wonderful, incredible um, special features on the Star Trek The Next Generation uh, restored Blu rays, uh, Enterprise, um, uh, he also um, did. Came out two years ago, I think, the brilliant Roddenberry Vault, in which uh, uh, footage from the original series uh, that hadn't been seen since it r- ran through the projector and dailies uh, 50 years ago was released. It was a remarkable, remarkable effort. We'll talk about that. And uh, of course, um, he also did the uh, the, the, the um, Blu-ray set uh, 50th anniversary collection, uh, where unfortunately some brilliant uh, special features that he did sort of got lost uh, amongst the repackaged, repurposed uh, movies and TV that was being reissued for the 9,000th time. But what he did was remarkable. And, uh, of course, also, uh, if you saw it in theaters recently, Fathom uh, um, did a tribute to the Twilight Zone, and uh, Roger had a wonderful... Um, a documentary about Rod Serling that was part of that celebration. And uh, he's also a producer on the very, very popular Netflix series uh, of movies, The Aliens Ate My Homework, starring, among other people, Mr. William Shatner. The man, the legend. The man, the myth, the legend. Our captain, oh, captain, Will <laughs> Bill Shatner. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks. Yeah, so that's a long introduction. That's an amazing you, introduction. You've done a lot of I'm things. Like, I don't think I deserve that, but uh, nah, anyhow. You, you do. You here do. Here I am. <laughs> yeah, here you, here you are. Um, you know, and you've worked on so much Star Trek, and it's interesting with this VAM, value-added material. So often, the people that do it have no particular interest in the subject matter that they're 
doing. Sometimes they do. Somebody like Charlie DeLazarica obviously is passionate about Blade Runner and passionate about Alien. Um, so in some cases, you do have people. A lot of cases, it's just it's just a gig. It's just a paycheck. A smaller and smaller paycheck all the time yeah. for that material. <laughs> uh, but in your case, you know, it was a labor of love. Um, tell us how you first got involved with uh, CBS Home Video and, and, and getting involved in some of these projects that you were uh, I begged, involved. Mark. I begged. <laughs> I begged. Uh, Star Trek Next Gen, they, were, they had been talking about uh, remastering it for years and whether, whether they were going to oppress or you know, go back to the film elements. And they did some testing, and both options were on the table. And my friend, Anna Barreto, who was an executive at CBS Home Entertainment, uh, mentioned this to me. She said, you want to look at this stuff because you, you know Star Trek. I, I don't, you know. So, you know, why don't you tell us if, if it looks right or if this makes sense? And the moment she said they were doing this, I said, I have to be involved. you got to let me do this because Next Gen was sort of how I became a fan. My, my parents were TOS fans, you know, so I watched it with Smart parents. As a kid. Yeah, but, you know, but it was Next Gen that really around season three – you know, I was 10 years old. And sure, I was galvanized like, your interest. This is the greatest yeah. thing ever, you know, and then I started really appreciating TOS and I got into DS9 and the many books and novels. So um, so that's how I became involved and, and they sort of had a bit of a puzzle because they didn't really know what to do other than release the episodes. They knew they were going to do a sampler disc. They were like, you know, we have so much footage, so much behind-the-scenes content from the DVD, from all the Becola, you know, TV mm. specials over the right. years. It's like, is there anything left to do? Should we even spend any more money? Now, when money? you say that, you're talking about the this is special features that were on the DVD seasonal releases. Beck Ola was a producer on the lot who did these behind-the-scenes featurettes that were right. featured on those original DVDs. Utilizing the B-roll from the... Yeah, they filmed yeah. a lot of the stuff on set. They had a relationship with Rick and, and the show. They did that Journey's End one-hour special that exactly. aired the week of the finale of Next Gen. So they had all that stuff, and they figured, you know, is it worth... Spending money, and I said yes to of do course. more content. Of course, yeah. and it was the 25th anniversary of Next Gen, so I kept saying, "You guys got to get the cast together again. You know, you have to get Patrick. You have to reunite them. You have to do sort of a definitive Ken Burns type of documentary series where you know you pick up the story season after season with sort of all the challenges and all the changes that were happening backstage. Sort of that revolving door of writers, mm-hmm. the first couple of years, the challenge to make a show that was relevant. You know, everything from you know, Stephen Mack almost playing, you know, uh, Captain Picard. You know, no one had really done a documentary like that. The DVD was, it was small featurettes, right? One on, you know, highlights from season one, VFX, you know, uh, uh, Herman Zimmerman as production design on the show. You know, there was never an interconnected narrative. And mm-hmm. I begged and begged and I said, this show really deserves that. And you're spending, I don't know, something like $10 million to rebuild the show in HD, you know, you could spend a little more to to get some definitive um, value-added material. And finally, you know, Ken Ross, who was one of the great um, architects of sort of the home video world at CBS, and he's been with home video since, I think, the inception of, you know, the VHS um, uh, consumer products world, you know, he, he said, all right, let's do it. And he greenlit the entire thing. And I think I ended up doing something like 60 hours worth of content. Which was insane, but it was it was great. We got our, you know we got Whoopi, Patrick, everybody from, you know the cast, which is great for selling the show. But for me, it was also about just going and getting the obscure, you know the people that you don't really hear about often, you know, and the stories that we haven't really. Well, heard what in I loved about it is that, you know, unlike you said the Beck Ola material, which was like 
let's focus on production design. Talk to Herman Zimmerman. You did it season by season. So you talked to everyone and you did a deep dive into the individual seasons of Star Trek. And I, I thought that was that was wonderful. And as you said, you know, <laughs> You, you you left no stone unturned. You got everybody you could get. And it's really some some wonderful material. You know, But I wonder if you can also talk about what is also so unique about uh, The Next Generation. You quickly talked about it. We had to decide if it was going to be up-resed or if it was going to be reconstituted. Now, of course, you know, for a lot of people, they may not know what that means. Um, so I wonder if you can talk about how it was, you know, originally finished in standard def and that's how it was aired and what it took uh, to to um, release it in uh, you know on Blu-ray because sure. stuff like Far- Farscape, they just took the uh, original camera and 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 mastered in HD, but the special effects were all up-resed um, because they couldn't they didn't want it to spend the time and the money to redo that. But Star Trek was a whole different beast. Yeah, with next gen, you you know they were shooting thirty five millimeter film, which was great, and they actually you know for the pilot they had ILM build the model of the Enterprise, and they got a lot of stock photography out of it, you know, uh, and then over the years they got Image G and Gary Hutzel and all those guys doing beautiful uh, miniature work. So you had film elements, you had film elements that you could now transfer, you know, scan at high def, mm-hmm. and basically rebuild the show. There was. Uh, you know, if you see the Enterprise flying and it's approaching a planet, sometimes it's five, six, seven different film elements, right? There's all these passes, the deflector, the, the engines, you know, the actual model itself, the mat, all these things are filmed separately but through motion control, so everything lines up. The film had been stored for years, so uh, there was warping. So sometimes they would scan Not all the good these, kind of warp, right? Yeah, Not good, warp six. No, 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 yeah. Just the warping <laughs> that makes you, you know, when you scan the film and you line it up, it doesn't really conform together. So they had to stabilize it, do all these things to really make it look great and color grade it again. And uh, you end up with a beautiful, true HD master of the show. It's more expensive to do that, obviously, yeah, because you have to spend a lot of time scanning film. And, um, uh, and there's a lot of different components to that, everything from the storage of that to the handling of those assets and the, you know, uh, recomping and all these things. If you'd taken those NTSC masters and re-uploaded them into a more modern uh, bay, you know, you could recolor grade and basically push the elements up to a higher definition. But it's, for example, the blacks never really looked black. That, you know, every time you would see the Enterprise flying through space, it was just this muddy, grayish tone around the ship, you know. And when they uprest, it looked even worse. So uh, when you look at that, you just can't go into the marketplace with, you know, with that kind of a product, especially on a show like NextGen, where you have really savvy viewers who understand the complexities of VFX work. Right. You know, some of them, by the way, you know, are in the industry. Yeah. So uh, you just can't do that. So, uh, so they decided to spend the money and rescan all the material and basically rebuild the show, which was pretty expensive, as you, as you know. Uh, and, and that's how we got those beautiful episodes, which they also played a couple of them in theaters, and they looked mm-hmm. beautiful on the big screen. So uh, so that was the people at CBS Digital. And, you know, I can't say enough things about Michael and Denise Okuda, who were there every step of the way. They were sort of the, they were the champions for making sure that all the decisions that were being made, you know, reflected the original creative intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sometimes the guys at CBS Digital would come up with something that looked really, really cool, but it wasn't really... The, the choice that was made back in 87 to 94. So Mike and Denise would always say, this is what we have to do, you know. Uh, and so I think what they ended up with was uh, something that pleased all the Star Trek fans, and it also created a bit of an appetite within the CBS company to put out more product on Blu-ray, mm-hmm. which is sort of where the vault comes in, you know, and Enterprise, which we also put out on Blu-ray, and they gave me a chance to really do really 
uh, candid documentaries about mm-hmm. the challenges, you right. know, in making that show. So, well, Enterprise is really interesting because Enterprise, of course, was shot in high def. It, it, well, last season, season four was shot in high def. The last season, right, was was shot in high def, um, and and aired in high def. Um, so it wasn't quite the undertaking that Next Generation was. But what's really remarkable about those discs, whether you like the show or not, are are the the special features. And as you you said. In the past, I, I've seen it happen many times. You know, a lot of people who've worked on these special features, whether it's Darren and his team, Rob, you, um, they've been neutered by a legal department, you know, for the most <laughs> yeah. ridiculous of reasons. Right. In, in the case of Enterprise, I felt that it was finally like people were being critical and people were allowed to say things. And I always talk about, and I think we said this to Brandon on the show, you know, um, it was like a therapy session for him and Rick when they talk about what went right and what went wrong with Enterprise. And it's super fascinating. And uh, it's really, uh, it gave me a new appreciation for Enterprise, but I just really love those documentaries uh, on on, the, on those sets. It's, it's a very interesting way to watch the show. And for all these people, you know, who watch all these things on streaming, you know, whether it be on Netflix or Amazon or CBS All Access, I, I think they don't, they're yeah. missing out on these really fantastic uh, special features that you've done, you know, from Next Generation to, um, uh, you know, to Enterprise. And, and we'll get to, you know, unfortunately, they've never really been done right for the original series. Uh, uh, you know, the Roddenberry Vault, and we'll get to that, is great what it does, but it does, it's not the three seasons, you know, done with, you know, it's all archival. It's not the interconnected deep dive narrative that we got to do on Next Generation. And now so many people have passed away, you know, it's kind of like you can't really do it because who the hell needs, you know, Darren and me and Scott Mance and, you know, be telling these stories. We do it, but. (laughs) (laughs) Although I have to say one of the most fun times other than this podcast that I had talking about Star Trek was when we, you, me, and Scott did the City on the Edge of Forever conta- uh, uh, commentary, uh, commentary uh, for Roddenberry Vault, which was like super fun. It's a great day. But um, but let's talk about Roddenberry Vault. This came out what, two years ago. Was it two years I ago? Think three. Three years ago. 2016, the 50th. Right. The 50th, Tell us yeah. a little bit about the Roddenberry Vault because the Roddenberry Vault was something I think we all never thought we'd see, which is footage from the original Star Trek, scenes from the original Star Trek, that we'd never seen that were not in episodes. And there was always for years all these stories and urban legends and myths that there was all this footage that Roddenberry had taken home and that the Roddenberry estate had or somebody had or somebody had stolen or somehow it existed. But we never knew if it was like just a rumor or was was there any truth to it. And even if it were true, what was the likelihood that they could get all the actors to sign off? Because, um, you know, a lot of people say, why in the world during all these documentaries does it say during every clip, available on Paramount Home Video, available on CBS Home Video? They don't realize that that's all, uh, you know, a SAG thing to get around having... Publicity. You have to say it's publicity. You have to say it's publicity. It's to sell a product, and the actors are going to get residuals off of that product. So Yeah, and, and, and that's why it's like... Yeah, we know uh, Star Trek is available on Paramount Home Video. You don't need to you put it You always get every... that note. When you get your legal notes, you know, at the end, the last note is always, please include seasons one, two, and three pack shot for Star Trek TOS with the following text, available now on Blu-ray and DVD from Paramount Home Entertainment and CBS Home Video. Like, I leave it out. I don't put the pack shots now just to F with them and yeah. say, let me see if they're going to give me that note, you know, when I hand in my rough cut. And they do. They always do. Yeah. 
so tell us, I mean, it kind of was like the white whale was the Roddenberry vault, how the Roddenberry vault came to be and, and uh, the challenge of, of doing that. Because it was an, a Herculean task that you had uh, in doing that. It, it, look, it was, it was a bit of a puzzle, right? It was, And I think it was a matter of being at the right place at the right time. I think that because I had done Next Gen and Enterprise and I was you know, constantly communicating and working with, with Ken and the whole team at, at CBS Home Video, you know, we all knew this was out there, and um, and uh, at that point, I believe that Rod Roddenberry had actually approached CBS and said, "Look, I'd love to do something with this. I know I can't do anything with this footage unless we have some kind of an agreement." Because even though the Roddenberry estate owns those physical film cans, because Gene had taken them back then, you know, they don't own the How did IP. How these end up in the trunk right? of my car? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a lot of stuff. I mean, <laughs> must have a gigantic trunk to fit all that stuff in. You're, but, uh, you're not going to be using this anyway, are you? So we're just going to take it and take care of it for you. <laughs> and thank God he did. By the way, thank God he did because this, it was just remarkable. When you start looking at the footage, when I was doing Next Gen, they were, already, they were scanning all that stuff. And, and Mike and Denise, even though they, were, they had a full-time job at CBS Digital with the Next Gen restoration, every couple of weeks – you know, a disc would come in. Uh, you know, it would be waiting for you at the reception area at CBS Digital, and you know, and and, and there was a couple new pieces of, of footage that they had scanned. And Mike and Denise would go through all that footage and review it, make notes. You know, think about it. Think about is there any value to this? Um, uh, when I looked at stuff, what was challenging for me was just sort of how incomplete it felt in a way because you would have a take and you're really getting into it and suddenly you're missing yeah. frames because Majel or someone who worked at Lincoln, you know, and cut them up them for those yeah. packets of, of film. Yeah, that they sell it to some kid for yeah. 35 cents. Or the keychains. <laughs> I remember convention. at one of the first Star Trek conventions I went to just getting that keychain that you'd put up to the light, right. you know, and it would have, you know, a frame. Kirk with the yeah. tribbles, you know, and, and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. And now I'm like, Damn it, you know? Why did I buy that thing? It ruined my ability to use this thing now uh, in my documentary. Uh, so that was a big challenge. You know, the other challenge was how, how can someone consume this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's, you can't release a Blu-ray with a menu and 100 or 200 little icons right. going play, play, play. You know, it's just it, that no one's going to put up with that, as compelling as the stuff may be. And some of it was very, you know, very short clips. So, sure. so. It was a matter of figuring out a narrative, right, that could help bring all this footage together and support it and give a a viewer an experience. And we knew the 50th was coming up. So my argument, going back to this whole idea of just interconnected narratives that really dig into the time and place when these shows were created, the circumstances, the people, the creative choices, was to, again, take that deep dive like on Next Gen and do the – you know, long documentaries, but CBS wasn't really interested in releasing all 79 episodes again on another box set because they had just done that and they'd been doing those Star Trek Origins discs and mm-hmm. compilations on Blu-ray. So so we felt that we had to find a way to just use this footage and have the release be about the footage right. rather than embedded in another three-season collection. And And that's where this thing that I have in front of me, I don't know if obviously people are mostly going to be listening to us, but I have a massive... Or they can watch the video podcast on Electric Now. 
You so show that to you one page the challenge was to take this massive list, this spreadsheet of all the footage, and figure out a narrative. And 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 what we came up with was this idea of revisiting the orange the origins of the show, mm-hmm. celebrating the creative and the technical accomplishments of the people who were making television in the '60s. You know, you look at you know you read Stephen uh, Stephen Whitfield's book, The Making of Star Trek, and for many of us, that was sort of a way to figure out how television was made when Absolutely. we when we were kids. You know. Um, so I thought, well, what if we could do that with this footage in a documentary format, you know? And that's what we ended up getting getting a green light on. And, and so the way we broke it down was uh, two documentaries focusing on – one focusing on the origin of the show, the other one on the filmmaking side of it. Mm-hmm. And then three volumes of what we call Inside the Roddenberry Vault, which is sort of a guided exploration into the footage, but at the same time, touching on all the key components of the show every season. You know, we, we talk about Gene Kuhn and his involvement. You know, we, we talk about sort of the thematic ideals that Gene was concerned about. We talk about all these things. It's not just about, hey, look, this cool clip from uh, Tribbles, you know, or yeah, look at this yeah. cool alt- alternate angle on Edith Keeler when the car's going to hit her, you know. Uh, it was really about telling a story. But it was, as you can imagine, a massive, massive Undertaking in terms of can we do this and have it ready for the 50th. Mm-hmm. We didn't really know if it would work because it was a very experimental sort of narrative, right? And that's where we called on people like you, Mark, and you know anyone who was still alive from, from the making of the show, anyone who cared about the show as deeply as we did, who could sit down and actually you know, talk to us about all these aspects of, of what made Star Trek so important to us. It was know? interesting because it, it, the challenge was to put it in context. Yeah. Because some of these were very subtle differences, you know, mm-hmm. alternate takes. And, and you know, not everyone is as well-versed as the footage as many of us. So it's sort of saying why this is significant, why this is different, why it was, you know, changed. Um, and... Uh, and you know, and then also integrating the deleted. So it was, it was, it was annoying to sort of see some of the response. It was like I thought this would be cut back into the show. There's not oh enough, you know. Not and enough. it's, 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 it's like, no. I mean, this is a treasure trove. I remember the first time you and and Mike and Denise showed it to me. I mean, I was like, you know, on the brink of tears. Mm-hmm. It was like unbelievable. I was like, this is incredible. It was like the lost ark. Yeah, it is. I mean, snap out of it. Yeah. You're like, did I just see that? You know, I remember <laughs> when I when I watched some of the stuff from City on the Edge, which is such a key. Ep- even Metamorphosis is not you know not as big an episode as, as City on the Edge. But for me, it was don't a, tell really Scott Manstad. Scott Manstad's right. favorite. Episode. Oh, I know, I know, I know. Uh, but uh, you know, when you're looking at these little moments, even that small moment of Edith, you know, when she's about to fall, and uh, Kirk grabs her, and she's like, "But I've already fallen." For you, you know, it's like you're you're like wow, I I know this episode in and out, and but here's you see a also window how good the it. editing was, yeah. Because on City, you see these awful things that were lifted, like every scene that was cut from City was would cut not for have, a good reason. Was yeah. cut for yeah, right, was cut for a good yeah. reason. But the fact that you're now seeing it and you're getting new images, you yeah. know, yeah. It, it's that that was what really got you. You know, it gives everything more context. Yeah, and and, and how we you understand. gave the world order. Yeah. And going back to what you said, how you understand that they did make the right choices, mm-hmm. because even seeing that master of the truck hitting her, right. it's just gone awful. Yeah, yeah. You know, it doesn't play as well as that close-up on Bill, and you that's know, what matters. he's delivering all that. And that's what matters. That's yeah. what's, ultimately, that's what it is. It's him sacrificing the woman he loves right. for the, you know, the good of, uh, you know, the needs of the uh, many, you know. <laughs> you know, the uh, needs of one. So, um, Also, he doesn't need to be nailed down like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's the captain, you know. That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
Yeah. There, there, there are many other women to uh, <laughs> yeah. out there in the, the in VFX big galaxy too for for you know for sci-fi and movie fans like us. You know, just seeing those long takes of doling in and doling it's out incredible. of those beautiful models, the it's Enterprise, the K seven, the yeah. Botany Bay. It's Botany just I would Bay. watch that in the edit bay. I'd just sit there. I was supposed to be editing. I had a, I had a release date. And I'd just be watching this stuff. Just this is beautiful. Just beautiful. You know. What was the thing that you saw that when you saw it, you just thought, it, if I could see nothing else of all of this, like this entire experience of sitting in like and watching through all of this material is totally worth it, and I'm privileged, and I don't even give a crap if anybody else sees it because I've seen this. I got to tell you, it's those moments that made you feel like a fly on the wall when that show was being produced, whether it's those wide shots of the, you know, the stage mm-hmm. and you see the guy on the floor cranking the wheels, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. he's operating a camera head, right. you know, to turn the ship. Yeah. Just great moments right before a take, you know, and those were really useful to help tell the story of how Leonard found the character of Spock, right. you know, and just seeing what's going on on the actor's face, you know, as the slate clears and you have a couple seconds there. To me, it's like, how am I even watching this? Yeah. You know, this happened. It's a time machine. It is. It's a time machine, and you feel really privileged. You're like, I, I think that someone in the world or in the Trek fandom audience is going to appreciate this. We didn't really know how we were going to structure it, but we knew that the footage itself had some, you know, value and a great deal of significance. You know, and it's interesting because I think if you had just put the footage. You know, uh, uh, assembled the footage. I don't think it would have meant as much. I mean, except to certain people, you know, without the context, the wraparounds. And it's funny because you hear people say, "Oh, and they I mean, they got so much more footage, and they're holding on to it for another release." And that was never the case. And if you've seen, well, obviously you it have. Still hasn't happened. So <laughs> here we are, three yeah. years later. You know, and there, look, there's little things. You know, and I have to say, for the record, Roger was not the one to show us this. Um, but you know, there's not a whole lot that the, that you guys didn't use. Yeah, we we also created. I think it's a 40 minute piece called "Swept Up," you mm-hmm. know, which is what we called all the little trims mm-hmm. from the edit bay floor. You know, where there's really it didn't fit into any of the narratives we we crafted for the right. documentaries, but we felt there is value to this footage. It's interesting. It's insightful. It's just fun sometimes. Let's put it all together. And use graphics to sort of yeah. help guide the viewer, you know, and let's get out of the way as filmmakers and just let the footage exist and share it with the viewers. And that, it's super fun. If we fun. hadn't done that, maybe there would have been enough to just do a single disc mm-hmm. Blu-ray down the road. But we felt it's the 50th. It's just let's put it all out there, you know. Do you feel there was a challenge educating people as to what this was? You know, uh, obviously marketing it and, you know, sort of explaining to people, like, this is footage that you know, was shot that wasn't used and, you know, most of that stuff is, you know, worthless. It's just another take and, you know, or it's of somebody. But but there are the gems here, you know. And if any of us who read, like, the James Blish novels or heard the sort of, you know, Which legend, hinted at a lot of these things. Which hinted a lot. You know, it was, it, was, it was really, you know, it was really great. And then, of course, there was all the stuff that um, you know, that didn't, you, you know, that didn't exist that you kind of thought exists, like the whole Karen Palamas thing. Yeah, which, by the way, we found yeah. audio of yeah. the script super reading it. On, and by the way, that was a conversation at CBS where all these executives are like, what the hell is that? Who cares? We, so we don't – they're like, so let me get this straight. We don't have the scene. What you have is audio of the, you know, <laughs> the, the assistant director reading McCoy's lines. 
who cares? And we're like, well, it does confirm that this one story element that I believe made it into the James Blish novelization yep, right. and it's out on the script that Lincoln sold for years. It confirms that the scene was filmed, that it made right. it that far into... That Karen Palamas was pregnant I by, said, Apollo. Uh, by Apollo. By yeah. Apollo, uh, yeah. And... And so that was difficult for them to understand. What's the value in that, you know? It's forensic I mean, archaeology, kind of. Mm-hmm. Totally. It is. I felt like Vash and, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and Next Gen. No Horgon for you. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't find the Horgon in any of the footage, but we did find <laughs> um, Damn it. We, you know, we did find a lot of things that we felt um, the executives would understand, you know, right. especially with, you know, with Nimoy passing away right. earlier that year, right? That same year he passed away or the year before? I think the year yeah. before, right? Twenty. I don't know. It was right 15. around the. Right around you the time. were doing that the same time we were doing the book, and so mm-hmm. we were talking to a lot of the same people, yeah. and uh, and I remember, you know, there was a while where they sort of called us the angels of death because everyone we were either trying to talk to or talk to would die. So it was like you know <laughs> Leonard and then Bernie Williams. No, I'm not and, doing your damn interview. And and <laughs> you know and 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 Harv Bennett. I mean, we were just about to interview Harv, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't. And he passed away. Yeah. You know, so like everyone was, it was a terrible window. There was like a lot of people passing yeah. away. But things like that, like Nimoy's passing, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, having all this footage of this guy getting into character, you know, or him cracking up, you know. And by the way, that great moment where, he, you know, it's just on him. Everybody else is trying to, you know, have him crack up at the end of the scene on, on the tag of the episode. That was just great. Like, the executives understood there was value to that, you know. The mm-hmm. Apollo thing, you know, or, you know, like the Peter Kirk scene where we right. didn't yeah. have the full scene, really. Yeah. We had a snippet of it, and it's like, okay, we'll do a still, and then we'll, through the interviews, we'll explain what the scene is about, and then we'll have that actual moment where he walks over the bridge, and, and Kirk talks to Scotty about sort of that weight of, you know, what if something had happened, and I'd had to make that decision, and, mm-hmm. you know, that's the kind of decision that you have to make when you're in Starfleet. They're like, we don't get it, you know. Right. But they, but they were supportive enough to say, "You guys get it, you, right. you know, Mike, Denise, and myself." And See, so, that's smart. do it. You know, they they know enough to get out of the way to say, "These are the guys who know Star Trek. We're going to let them run with it, and we're going to get." We out assume of the way they know what they're talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I wish that was more the case on Star Trek on other iterations of Star Trek. Yeah, but uh, or even on home video, you know, the, 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 you know, it's kind of a dying. Uh, thing right now the format you know yeah, physical media you know so this to me this was like our last hurrah you know I don't know that I will ever get to do anything like this again whereas if I had been doing VAM 10-15 years ago you know like when Charlie was really doing right. things like Blade Runner and Aliens I'd be like you know what alright this didn't really work out great but right. you know I'm sure five years from now we'll do something even better I don't know that we'll get another ch- I don't know that we'll get to do that three season set that can give us that deep dive into TOS like we did with... No, because nobody's going to put the money into it. And, and, because and by it the way, all the people have passed away, as you said. So. All the people passed away, and um, also uh, it's it's not worth the investment, especially now. I mean, as much as we all love Disney+, Plus, for instance, like what is the incentive of Disney to do any of those great... You know, they're trying to drive people away from physical. They don't want you to be buying the physical media. They want you to be subscribing to Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. You know, and ultimately Paramount in some form is going to, whether it's CBS All Access or something to launch in the future, it's going to be the same thing. They're going to want to drive you to their proprietary streaming platform. They're not going to want to sell you DVDs. And then, it, you know, none of the, the streaming platforms are really offering bonus content in any kind of real, real way. So what's the incentive to throw money at bonus content? Right. But you look at, like, some, some of this stuff that I've been fortunate enough to work on or, you know, what Charlie did with the Alien Quadrilogy or the 
whatever it is. The pentology, Every time they have a movie, it changes. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, and Blade Runner and things like that, and all that content is there. The studio owns it. We made it for them. We have to sign off everything, mm-hmm. you know, before we start up um, production on these things. If you're now in a world where everything is streaming and everything is digital, why can't you port over those right. things so that the viewer, again, in a way, I feel bad saying this because in a way, I'm sort of putting another nail on the coffin of, of, of home video. But, you know, as people like us who appreciate the process of making cinema, making television, you know, I want younger viewers, I want the next generation to sort of have access to these things sure. because I feel like there's a lot of great work that has been done that has documented essential moments in cinema and television history. And who's going to have access to these things if there's no more Blu-ray or DVD, you know, I reissues? Think, I think we're still in the Wild West on streaming services. I, I think that they're still figuring it out. Mm-hmm. And sure. I think as it as we go forward and they try to get more and more subscribers, there is a chance that the same reason that put those value-added bonuses on the discs is going to come to to streaming. I think well, it, Amazon is doing it already with, with their X-ray. X-ray yeah. yeah, right. And Netflix, Very tentatively, I think, is though. Curious. And are they doing it, everything? Because yeah. I know, I know iTunes has done some extras, but if you buy the actual Blu ray, there's way more stuff on right. there. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what iTunes is doing is they're just porting over the stuff that's done for home video. They're not, right. I, you some know, and occasionally it, yeah. they'll have some a retailer exclusive. Right. And, but, and to be fair, Disney Plus does have some uh, bonus material on some of their a titles. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Did you guys, when you guys. The motion picture, the the Bob Weiss mm-hmm. cut you guys did, mm-hmm. that's on iTunes, right? Uh, that is, uh, I think it's on iTunes as a as, bonus. As a, as a special bonus. feature, Wait, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's there as a special feature. Yeah, if you buy Star Trek The Motion Picture on iTunes and you go to bonus features, special that's features, the, then the director's right, edition right. in standard def Right, is because available. that's the only thing they have. But, right. but in a way, that's sort of a positive step, you know? You it's kind of, of annoying that... DVD. That version of the movie you can only get like that, but the idea of that putting change, more stuff that may change fairly soon. We hope. I mean, that'd be great. That'd be great. I remember bringing that up on the fiftieth when I was mm-hmm. doing that big yeah. box, you know, and they were like, "It's too expensive." <laughs> yeah. Well, I just have to interject that I'm a. I, I can't say that I'm angry that the that the director's edition is um, is available on on iTunes as a bonus feature, other than to say that when we did. The uh, the panel at Comic Con, right? And I sent my poor wife all over creation, looking for creation a DVD player. Yes, so that I could watch the movie again on DVD. Like not realizing that I had it on. You all do realize along. you can play a DVD player, a DVD on a Blu-ray player. You yeah, but we that- didn't like have that either oh and it was way <laughs> and it was way cheaper to oh. get a dvd player oh, okay. than it was to just go buy a blu-ray oh, player okay, in, uh, okay. in in san diego oh gotcha oh you mean but you yeah. wanted to watch it that night that yes. night yeah. exactly oh, and i okay. didn't realize i had it on itunes i didn't yeah you had it on itunes the whole time oh my god she's gonna kill me she can't listen to this podcast okay well we'll, we'll, we'll you know we'll... editing i think i think we're okay <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right <laughs> So, you know, but that would be great if you guys can finally do that, you know. And if it can actually have a physical, whether it's 4K UHD or it has Blu-ray, to. you know, it has to be a physical. That's the kind of thing where I want that on my shelf. But it's also the only kind of stuff that still discs, sells. You know? It's like Star right. Wars, Star Trek, Marvel. These are the only things that still sell on, uh, on I think physical media. One of, the, one of the things is that they don't have a Star Trek movie coming out. Certainly not next year. Right. Yeah. Maybe the year after. Yeah. But... 
They got to have something. And how many times are you going to put out the Picard collection? Right. You know, Patrick Stewart's one, favorite one episodes. More, one more time. Or the Borg <laughs> Collective. Or the Borg Collective. Or the, the Borg Q Continuum. The Mirror yes. Universe. And even, you know, there was a while where I bought every version of uh, the original series on, on Blu-ray, uh, DVD and Laserdisc and sure. Blu-ray. And yeah. I'm even, I'm done with that. It's like, how many times do I need to <laughs> I'm still these, holding on to them. I have them in my office. All of them just lined up just because I don't want to throw them away. And I'm also, ready for the 4K. Ready for yeah, 4K. I'm ready for the 4K too. That, that that's the last I think chance yeah. to do what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. This kind of deep dive into the the seasons. You know, it was nice when they did the little Super Eight uh, uh, oh, films from the set. Yeah, that yeah. was nice. But wouldn't that be better as part of something? You know, John D. F. Black just passed away. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I have a really good interview with him. I have like an hour with him. Yeah, and you have a lot of these people where you barely. You know, I like to joke sometimes that this show is like the long version of what you were doing on the Blu-rays. Like Tom Perry was on the show recently. We did an hour and a half with him. Oh, he was you great. Know, he was probably on your documentaries for a minute, minute and a half, yeah. you know, because that's all, you know, you can accommodate in a half hour documentary. I wish more people had seen that because we did that doc. We made that journey to the silver, silver screen documentary that picked up the story after the cancellation of TOS. It's a and great it documentary. All the way through the missteps and the development and... Tom Perry was just a great, great interview. Um, and the fact that it's so many years down the road now and none of these people work for the studio anymore, or, you know, right. in terms of legal notes, they kind of left me alone, which yeah. is good. You know? I think the older, the longer in the past it takes yeah. place, the more, you know, I mean, I just, I don't envy the people who are working on The Next Generation this contemporaneously with the show because then you had Dave Rossi and, and, and Rick and, just you're know, so concerned about anything you could say, sure. and then you know, also um, everyone involved with the original series has proven to be so litigious that mm-hmm. even that, you know, they've never really gotten close to telling kind of the real story of the original series because you know it's so washed over and it, and nobody's and they're printing the same stories they tell at conventions yeah. without doing a deeper dive into. You know what really was going on. Yeah, I felt Shatner was really good on the vault. It, somehow, well, you managed to do a really good interview with him, and and I, you know I've seen a lot of people interview Bill. You know, some good, some bad. Um, you know, back in the day when I was a journalist, I did a couple of really, I think, really good interviews with him. But it's not easy. He's not an easy interview. And I know, for instance, like Ed Gross has done some great interviews with him, and then other times where it's like it's impossible to get more than one word where it answers that. It really depends when you're getting him, and it, you know, he, we've always said he doesn't suffer fools gladly. And you know, if he's fulfilling a contractual commitment, you know, or if he's like interested in what he's talking about, um, and of course, you ended up as a result of that hiring him to be in your movie uh, Aliens Ate My Homework. Yeah, no, he was really nice. He was really nice to us, and and he, you know, again, it was a contractual thing. You know, he got paid some money, obviously. All the act, we had, you know, you had to clear all the, you know, all the footage with the actors. There were fees. There was all these negotiate, all the negotiating that happened between CBS and them. Finally, Bill agreed to do it. And I think we had thirty minutes with him. Mm-hmm. You know, he stayed for like an hour and a half. I've used him. I used him in all the documentaries, yeah. and 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 he was in a great great spirits, and really, to me, it felt like he was remembering everything, you know, and, and remembering things he didn't think about often, you know, right. with, like you think mm-hmm. about the creation show, for example, or all the conventions, and every year these guys kind of go back to the same Straight stories, the right? same material. It yeah. didn't feel like that when we did that interview, and I started talking to him about for the people, you know, and just sort mm-hmm. of how he felt when you get the show and you finally think, here's some steady income, you know, I'm in, I'm on a network, you know, and then suddenly a few episodes into it, 
over. What do you do with your life? You know, and then this thing comes along. They show you this crazy pilot. Did you really think this thing was going to fly or this was going to be another nail on your coffin? You know, and so I kind of I think I got him to a certain point in his life, you know, a little bit of time traveling there yeah. where he felt, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, let me let me tell you about how I felt, you know. And so it was a great interview. I'm very proud of that interview. Actually. Yeah, no, and I, I think he's great in that doc. And and you know, I've seen him in other documentaries where he's not interesting at all. Um, I think if you open with, because a lot of people probably do this, where there's like, so you know, what's your favorite Star Trek? Episode? Yeah, what's your favorite Star Trek? Episode? How's uh, it feel being a TV icon? You I've, know? It's uh, like, I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, look, that's the thing with Bill. And I think people are like, well, you know, he wasn't very nice. And it's like the guy has been answering the same stupid questions yeah, yeah. for 50 years. And so maybe your stupid too, question probably. is why he's right. not being nice to you. Yeah. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's not him. Yeah. And it's also where you're coming from. I'm sure a lot of people come from this point of view of, you know, it's Star Trek. It's a joke. You know, it's Captain Kirk. And to me, it's like it's, it's Captain Kirk, you know, this is the greatest character ever created, you know, and starting to talk to him about how he was Captain Kirk from that first moment in uh, where no man has gone before, you know, it's just like, it was just, it was, I was coming from a place of admiration and just fear as well, because I didn't want to piss him off, you know, I I wanted this to go away. I think it's only now in the past few years that he's actually starting to understand that a little bit. And it's only, it's only happened since around the time you did that interview. I think I got a sense of that, too, that maybe, you know, maybe he's at a place now where he's looking back on his life yeah. and he's looking at it Evaluating differently. Evaluating things yeah. and, and uh, realizing things of importance and things not of importance. I think the, the two Emmys helped mm-hmm. validate, you know, it gave him respect, right. you know, uh, amongst the community. And I think also seeing people like Tarantino saying, you know, what huge fans they are mm-hmm. and, and you know, he actually, you know, spoke to Shatner at length and, you know, it, it kind of was like Shatner's like, oh, you know, it wasn't just I was in this goofy TV show that's for some reason people love and I can't fathom it to like, wow, look at the impact I've had on all these people. Right. I think um, I saw a little bit of that, too. With uh, It's interesting because you, we look at Star Trek as the greatest, you know, thing ever. I mean, I'm, I'm speaking for myself, but I know you guys are, are Trek fans, too. But to me, it's like I can't ever see anyone feeling like Star Trek was slumming it. You know, mm-hmm. and I and I got a sense that you know during the Rick Berman years, you know maybe maybe Rick felt that he should have been doing Dick Wolf type shows, sure. you know, and and, and and he would have been great at that too, and maybe but he wasn't doing them right. Yeah. He 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 was doing uh, the syndicated you know uh, weird sci-fi show right. Mm-hmm. So, but but then sitting down to talk to him extensively multiple times over the Blu-ray production process, I kind of started to f- see him sort of admit to that attitude, and then realize in front of you that what he did had meaning to a lot of people and that maybe it really was great and that he dedicated his life to something that was actually pretty good. But here's the thing with Rick. He started as an executive at Paramount where that attitude was prevalent. Oh, that Roddenberry thing, you know. Oh, the, that he, train wreck. He, that train wreck. He's such a pain in the ass. You know, oh, who are we about to fire? Who can we send into the lion's den? Mm-hmm. You know, that, 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 you know, we don't. Oh, Rick will Rick, uh, go do it. He'll eat anything. And so he went in with this idea like, you know, he was the fireman. Mm. And, you know, maybe if I, he acquitted himself on this, it would lead to better things. Something good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I think it's only later, you know, on that he started to realize, wait, this is its own reward. Well, this, you this think about is it something this good. It's, it's hard enough to make any show. Yeah. It's harder to make a successful show 
it's even harder to make a great successful show. Mm, right. And he made at least two great successful shows. And he made three very successful shows. Uh, and I mean, I can't imagine that at some point it doesn't occur to him that, you know, when he was that guy, that paramount executive who got sent to, to babysit, you know, to be the fireman, that that perhaps he didn't appreciate what he'd been given. And, and I think, you know, maybe the benefit of the information age and just um, the, the fact that, you know, for example, William Shatner now can sort of swim uh, in this this adoration or this sort of cultural awareness of of where people are in their relationship to Star Trek and to him, like that 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 awareness has to do something to you and has to give you some perspective on it. That maybe that's that's part of that that positive change. Yeah, I think it has to do with that. It's just stepping away from it. Maybe you mm-hmm. know, there's this distance now mm-hmm. where you can look at it with a fresh Hindsight, set of eyes. Yeah, yeah. definitely. So. You know, look, everyone thinks it's imminent that Paramount and CBS will merge again. I think it's likely. Uh, it looks like it's happening. So say they came to you with an open checkbook and said, hmm. Roger, we want to do something with Star Trek. You know, Star Trek, the motion picture director's edition aside, that's his bailiwick, right? Of course. Right? I would, but, I would uh, say you called Darren right away. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so let's take that off the table. But if they came to you and said, Roger, you know, we want to do something with Star Trek. We're not sure how. We're not sure if we've run this into the ground, you know, uh, if we should, you know. We, we we're willing would you to run do, it into the ground for us. Is that yeah, the, like, <laughs> you know, what would you advise them? You wanted to do what would be the ultimate, you know, sort of the capper on your Star Trek, uh, you know? Because I think we're all looking at that. It's like you know, as we move into other projects, you know, it's like, but what is that ultimate Star Trek? Thing you know, for, you, you know, hopefully he's going to be doing his 4K Star Trek, the mo- unfinished business, the motion picture 4K. You know, and in, in, in you know he came very close to writing a Star Trek uh, movie. You know, and hopefully that maybe something like that will circle back again. What's your unfinished Star Trek business? Do you mean in terms of home video product and things? Uh, like absolutely, that? I mean, yes. anything. Because I don't know that we're going to have home video product for many years. Okay, so let's say, but it's hopefully, for, but no, listen, hopefully. The Mountain dot com, <laughs> Mountain <laughs> Streaming. You, know, you can get any Paramount film. Hopefully, it, it does continue. So that I don't know if it's the sixtieth for Star Trek or when that could be, where you can really do that. Sixtieth, you know, it'll happen. You know, yeah, they'll, need, You're younger they'll, than they'll need some so. marketing stuff uh, for the sixtieth to sell whatever. I don't know what format will be will be selling by then. But I would still it's the love the crystal to do implants, implants version. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, it's, it's the quartz yeah. crystal they put Superman on. Right, that's right. Uh, and you put it in your TV too. Uh, but whatever it is, I, I would still love to do that kind of deep dive with TOS. Mm. I feel like I sort of scratched the surface of that story right. with, uh, with the vault. And I'm very proud of what I did, by the way. If that's right. the only thing I ever get to do related to TOS, I'm a happy man. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still think DS9 should get the Blu-ray HD oh, treatments. God, yeah. I think that's in terms of the complexity of the storytelling and the diversity of the the characters and you know, even the... Uh, I mean, look, uh, I, I don't know how fans feel about DS9 now compared to some of the things we're seeing now with Discovery where obviously they're veering even further away, I think, at times from what Gene came up with. But I think there's enough fans that, that appreciate DS9 where it should get an HD version because I hate seeing those shitty, you know, blacks <sighs> yeah. on NTSC. You know? I, I'm so mm-hmm. glad you brought up the Deep Space Nine because, you know, you hear it all the time. When are they going to, you know, release Deep Space Nine in high def? Tell us, what are the challenges? Why is this so hard? Why is it unlikely that it will happen? 
Well, you look at how much money was spent on next gen mm-hmm. for these for these high def versions, you know. And and you look at how many units they sold of the, you know, Blu-ray sets and the single discs of the two parters that mm-hmm. were spliced together into feature length edits and you know, when you look at it that way comparatively, you know, the PNL doesn't really look great, you know, because it's so expensive to rebuild. But you're not taking into account the fact that now these are syndication masters that they use for all the streaming services that they put on Netflix, that they sell internationally. So now they have... um, And all access. But the problem is that they didn't do them in 185. So even though they're in high def, it still looks sort of anti-Diluvian on TV because it's not mastered for widescreen. And do you think that was something yeah, universal with Galactica? Much, you know? Though they offered both options. Yeah, but the they, off the other one when they pushed into those yeah, one well, three three yeah, to give yeah. you that sixteen. I got that. I set still that watched it in one three three. I was like, I'm not, <laughs> I watched one episode at sixteen nine, and I was like, this is disgusting. Uh, and so, you know, DS nine hopefully gets the opportunity to end up on on high def because of the streaming services the only or way. syndication it's or something. It certainly is not going to be home video that will support that effort, right. but it would be great if it does come out on home video first because it, then it allows us the opportunity yeah. to do that deep Special dive features, kind yeah. of documentary uh, filmmaking. Uh, that that um, No musical numbers, though. No, no musical numbers, <laughs> no. Uh, uh, and I know that you know. I know the DS9 documentary came out already, and it did really well. But look, you're looking at a two two and a half hour piece, right? When you go season by season on a Blu-ray collection, you can spend three to four hours on the narrative for one season, and that only scratches the surface. You know, I, it doesn't do the deep dive into the individual. In fact, if you watch the deleted scenes on that, that is actually more of a deeper dive than what the documentary does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the documentary is entertaining and it honors the show, and it's, it's, I'm so glad it exists and it's wonderful to see. But um, it doesn't sort of do that deep dive into the episodes, and it doesn't really examine that fundamental issue: is why Deep Space Nine. You know, because it's told through the lens of the showrunner. You know, he said, like, why was Deep Space Nine not embraced? And it's very hard when the showrunner is interpreting it mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to have that objectivity about its successes and its flaws. It's a very different perspective than I think any one of us would have mm-hmm. when we talk about Deep Space Nine. And we're a whole huge Deep Space Nine fans. Yeah, I love DS9. I really, really hope that happens. And it, by the way, they still talk about it. You know, I, I, I'm working with CBS right now on Twilight Zone, and, you know, every now and then we're in a meeting and we're like, oh, can we still do DS9? Is there a way to do it? You know? Um, so it's on everyone's mind over there, you know? Yeah. Uh, so that's my hope that, you know, we get a chance to dig deeper into TOS and obviously give DS9 a Blu ray collection or whatever format, you know, we end up with. Yeah. But the question is now is, are they going to be so focused on the new content that the catalog, the, you know, the, the catalog is less important? I I don't think so. I mean, you look at sort of everything they're doing, even you know, with things like I Love Lucy, where they're still doing yeah. colorized sure. Blu-ray discs and doing Fathom events, you know, it's true. to support it. Same with Twilight Zone with this classic Fathom event thing they did, and and them allowing me to do a you know a standalone documentary for that. I think the library is important to a group like Home Entertainment, you know, which has to keep sending stuff out that hopefully gets a retailer excited about putting product on the shelves, you know, for now. Yeah. You know, but it has to be something special. It no. has to be a Colorized Lucy or a Twilight Zone 60th or a Star Trek 50th, you know. And it's interesting because we're, we're glossing over uh, something, too, because we talk about Deep Space Nine and the original. And yet, if you believe 
Apparently, Netflix released their viewing figures and their metrics on the Star Trek series. And the most watched, the most streamed Star Trek series on Netflix apparently is Voyager. Right. Good Lord. So, you know, <laughs> Voyager's in the same boat as Deep Space Nine, you know, and will that show also be? Nobody's talking about Voyager. No. Um, that, I can tell you that. No one's talking about remastering <laughs> Voyager right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I don't want to get into trouble here, but it's like... No. I've been to a lot of meetings, and Voyager hasn't come up. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's like Trump. Everyone's talking. Everyone's saying well, Voyager. What you're really kind of getting at is how much it 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 seems like the one hope of Deep Space Nine, and, and frankly, the hope I think for for all of these things that we we love so much is the impact that they had on the the people who were growing into these executive positions and the mm-hmm. affection that they have mm-hmm. for that material, and that can really have an impact on how much money people are are willing to spend or the risks they're willing to take. Um, you know, and I think that uh, that just the ubiquity of the Star Trek series on streaming right now, even in their their current form, is going to do nothing but help that out. I mean, maybe what we really need is for Netflix to buy Paramount and then decide to throw the money into it and kind of give it new life. Well, then they're, they're incentivized to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Look, I'll tell you, I, I obviously, I love Deep Space Nine, as we all do. It's difficult to watch on Netflix. It's difficult to watch anything yeah. in standard yeah. definition these Horrible. days, yeah. especially um, the, uh, space on stuff. big TVs with OLED and and just like you know the, the the further back. I mean, like you know, I can't imagine throwing on a laser disc, you know, and even DVD. We're getting a lot of screeners uh, on DVD. Why are we still getting DVD screeners? I don't yes. get that. Uh, and they look awful. And so when I watch Deep Space Nine, as much as I love it, and I, you know, it's hard. It's hard to watch it, you know, and not because of the one three three, just because of the resolution and the blacks and the, how muddy it gets. And it's just how do I explain it to my children? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, son, as my wife calls it, low def. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's pretty funny. But you know, I think every Star Trek fan owes you a debt. You are an archaeologist. You know, you're, I'm a you're, you're a gentleman and a scholar. <laughs> but you know, also they don't realize how little money that you were, were given to do these things, and the fact that you always go the extra mile. That it's not just, um, you know, for, for, for you, it's not just a, it's a job. It's 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 a it's something you are absolutely passionate about. And um, you know you you won't settle for anything but the very best. So um, <laughs> you know, and 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 so you know, thank you for for job well done. And and uh, thank you, Matt. You've been very do... supportive. I do have to say this. I'm, I'm I'm sure we have to wrap things up. But you've been very supportive of all these different projects uh, that we've put together on Blu-ray, and and I appreciate that because you get it. And and I think I told you this. What I've been trying to do is just kind of recreate that sense of you know what reading the the Stephen Whitfield book was sure. or reading. You know, some of your books or the Starlog articles or the Cinefantastique articles, you know. You know, it's funny you mention that. Because been, the 50-year mission is now out in paperback. Did you write that? It is. The I just saw it at Barnes & Noble. history of Star Trek. So if you don't already own the 50-year mission, you, you owe it to yourself <laughs> to pick it up or order it today. Um, and if you don't like paperback, the hardcover is still available, as is the audiobook and the digital version. Isn't and, that written by Edward Gross and Mark the Altman? Mark A. Altman. Mark oh. oh. He's just Actually, one of one of the Altmans. Right. One so, of the Altmans. Yeah, exactly. Mark the Altman. But, but anyway, uh, look, thanks for coming down. Glad we finally My got pleasure. you on the show. Thanks for having if me. If you don't have the Roddenberry Vault, uh, you know, go on Amazon. Can I plug it? Can I show it? Go on Barnes & Noble. Yeah, absolutely. There it is. There it is. It's still out there. There it sits. <laughs> Waiting. It and seems reasonably available to me, <laughs> Commander. It's still out there. It's still out there. It's still out there, and it's just terrific. It's, you know, in fact, I'm going to go home and watch it tonight. That's I haven't watched it in a while, and I just love 
I love that set. And you're I, turning into Scott Mance, my friend. Oh God! Oh. <laughs> There's no need for insults. Every time I see Scott, wow. he's like, I, I watched it again the other day. I'm like, turning into Scott. Scott. <laughs> God bless him. I mean, I love Scott. He we was, all love Scott. Great. What's not to love? He's the Citizen Kane of film critics. Um, okay, so thank you, Roger. Thank you, Ashley. It's a very special thanks to Darren, my co-host. Thank and thank you, your audience out there, for <laughs> Inglorious Treks and for joining us for Inglorious Treksports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you may want to check out Electric Search's other podcasts, like the 4:30 Movie, in which a panel of filmmakers curate a fantasy theme week of classic movies, like me and him and him uh, and Steve Mel. A guy who looks like Steve Melching every Friday, as well as the Rebel and the Rogue, a Star Wars podcast, the upcoming Two on Who, a Doctor Who podcast, and of course, Best Movies Never Made every other Monday. Now, uh, you can also stream. Now, you can stream the video podcast of your favorite Electric Surge shows on Electric Now by downloading the Stir, Zumo, or Distro TV app on your tablet, phone, or TV. We're so, streaming through now, Con. So, if you, you, you want to see this episode uh, and see what he was holding up or uh, see me plug my book, The 50-Year Mission, you can check out the video podcast on the Electric Now channel, which is also there's some great uh, programming. There's every season of Librarians, The Outpost, Leverage, Movies. It's just it's 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 worth checking out, and uh, you know it's funny. I I was watching it the other day, and then I realized there was also a Wise Guy channel on Stir, and there was a Crime Story channel on Stir, and there was a Space nineteen ninety nine channel. Okay, now you got, you got your whole weekend. Planned. I'm telling you, why ever take it off Stir? Just leave right. it on and watch it because there's so many great things happening there. Also, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, and we may read your review live on the show. Maybe it could happen. If you're clever enough, amuse us, amuse your captain. <laughs> Finally, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter. Bill Ritter back there. Hey, Bill. Thank you for another fine episode. I hope this sounds good. Rogers, he he's uh, he has a lot of uh, excitement. Not like Scott Mance level excitement. No, no but, one has that but, much uh, excitement. But a lot of energy. And, uh, of course, producer Natalie Miscali, who's back there and has a lot of experience with home video and stuff. I'm sure this was an interesting episode for her. Um, was it an interesting episode for you, Natalie? I liked it. Okay, good. And, of Who course, knew? Dean Devlin, like without it. whom the show would not be possible. So until next week, keep on trekking and gloriously, of course. The show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.